Welcome to the True Works Podcast, the podcast that helps you understand how the gospel can transform your work and your, indeed, your entire life. I am your host, Joshua Smith, and with me is my co-host that has been with us for most, no, for all of the episodes, Doug oh, Meekle. Yes, 20, this is our 21st episode, not that I'm counting. No, no, I'm not, I'm not either. I am. Uh, you, you are count- He is a counter. It's one of his superpowers. Yes. And uh, what we're talking about today is love. Mm. Just take that in for a yeah, minute. Yeah, take that in just for a moment. And um, mm. yeah. yeah, I think the name of the book, perhaps to help folks, is uh, when we close out the... Uh, we, we close out our time together in terms of the classes that we do with uh, uh, James K.A. Smith's book, You Are What You Love. And Smith is a he's a, he's a modern writer, contemporary writer, yep, contemporary writer, and he is in in many ways I think uh, a a continuation of our if we have one patron saint yep. of the faith work intensive, uh, Saint Augustine. Uh, he admits either in this book or in perhaps another book. Uh, he's really not creating anything new. I mean, I think he's a little modest there, but creating anything new, but simply contextualizing and introducing Augustine's work of, uh, excuse me, not work, but thought that we are essentially, as humans, lovers. Yeah. We are desiring beings. Yeah. Now, what's perhaps... Uh, excuse me, a little shocking, uh, a little surprising is what the alternative is of uh, thinking how we are essentially as humans. What, what's, how does he juxtapose, what does he juxtapose we as lovers to Jamie Smith? Again, you're putting me on the spot here, but if I remember... I, I love doing this yeah, to you. Yeah, so far Doug. so good. As far as my, my batting average is not bad so far, but I guess thinkers, is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah thinkers or, yeah, knowers, yeah, knowers, said, yeah. yeah, thinker. Yeah, and so he, um, we, we often, again, this is the water, this is that we swim in, the air that we breathe in. We present the gospel and the Christian message, but also our daily activities in the world as, oh, we need to convince someone to have these kinds of beliefs, to assent to these propositions as true. And of course, beliefs, we're not, you know, uh, out, what, what, what do you call it? Like, we're not harping on beliefs. Mm, I don't you know. know. I mean, that's kind of weird to harp on beliefs as a concept, but we're not harping on thinking per se, but when we ascribe that as our fundamental way that we relate to the world and the activities that we pursue. And he has some illustrations to show us, hey, listen, if Christians don't realize this, the whole rest of the world does. They've tapped into that we are desirous, loving beings. And he has this great illustration about the mall. The mall, yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, I, I heard that illustration years ago, reread it when I went through this course, that just like continues to be like that was such a good illustration. Can you tell us a little about that? Well, the illustration of the mole is, I guess, it works at a whole bunch of different levels. But in the context of this book, what he's really trying to say there is that uh, in a visit to the mole, it reveals to you a 
story of how the world is and should be, yeah, and how one mm. finds fulfillment within it. Mm-hmm. That if you go to the mall, you're met with uh, a story of happiness, how one finds fulfillment, and that you, over and over again, you'll be presented with these images and stories that is if I buy this item or this good uh, and and I take that home and I consume it, then my life will be good. My life mm. will be great, in fact. And that uh, and if only I have had more of this, then my life would be even better. Yeah, And that story brings together a whole bunch of people from different circumstances and they all are orientated towards the world with the same basic desire. That is the desire to to purchase and to consume, and by purchasing and consuming, they gain a better life and a fulfillment to this longing for maybe transcendence that's within them. And the whole and the mall, it's almost like the modern day cathedral. That's yeah. what ancient cathedrals were there to do, to kind of reinforce the story in their case of the gospel. The modern mall is to reinforce the story of consumerism and the joys of it and the fulfillment that one finds within that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Only one doesn't find fulfillment in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, news flash. News right? flash. Yeah. That's not how that's going to work. But it is interesting, and I can't remember it, the, uh, the exact similarities that he draws, uh, but he does compare it to a cathedral. And when I started thinking of all the malls that I frequent back at home and here in Houston and other places I've lived, uh, you know, they often have high ceilings, yeah. you know, vaulted ce- ceilings. Where did that architecture come from? Yeah. Well, it came from cathedrals. Uh, there's often lots of natural light. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's an airiness to it. They have uh, artificial water and plant, uh, real plants, artificial water, artificial creeks and rivers. Yeah. You can't really have artificial water. No. Yeah, I don't Either know. Either it is or it isn't. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of binary. Yeah, and I think, but I think the, um, the, the point of the story, though, or the point of this illustration is the power of stories— and to to shape our lives, to mm-hmm. shape our lives, and also how those stories, uh, and there's many of them in the world, this is simply one, the story of commercialism, are seeking to uh, shape us and form us in a particular way, yeah? And, and his point in the book here, in terms of you are what you love, is that what one chooses to love will be that thing that shapes and forms you. So if you're trapped in the story of consumerism and you love those things that you purchase and procure, they ultimately will be the things that form you and shape you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so, of course, from a Christian perspective, his point is simply you have to get yourself into the story, uh, the grand story of, of, of the Bible and place yourself within it and to some extent love that story, be formed by it. That's yeah. kind of the, the, the first big message of the book. I, I think uh, another message about that really helpful metaphor of or excuse me, illustration of the mall, is that pay attention to the method of advertisement and promotion that the mall uses. You don't go into a mall uh, that is proposing and advertising and marketing to you these consumer goods with simply black and white text on the windows. 
mm-hmm. it's always beautiful. It has, there are videos, there's uh, audio. It's tapping into, because the mall and those in marketing know you better maybe of how and what motivates your actions than you do. They know uh, you better. And if we can give you something that is beautiful and desirous, then you will hopefully buy our product. Mm -hmm. And what Smith is saying is, uh, hey, that that's actually that's that's that is fundamentally right. We are desirous beings. We just need to desire the right things. Yes. Yeah. So the successful marketing and successful advertising is built around the fulfillment of desire. And and his point that's in the background in the book is that that's a that's a that's a pretty fundamental human insight is that that Saint Augustine knew fifteen hundred years ago is that we are not rational beings we are desirous beings we desire things and we desire to desire to be loved desire to attain desire for power there's a lot of there's a lot of that desiring going on and to the extent that modern marketing works it works by segmenting out populations, targeting them with a message, and that message is one of the things, that, the, the fulfillment of one's desire, mm-hmm. the f- fulfillment of one's desire. And um, I mean, one of the things, he doesn't use this illustration, but it's, it is a illustration, and maybe I've used it in a podcast before, forgive me if I have, is that I went to, uh, I was in a business school class, and uh, the case study was on uh, it was Volkswagen America, Volkswagen America, and it was about their advertising campaign around the the Volkswagen Golf. And I had just bought a Volkswagen Golf for my kid who had turned sixteen, and um, and in it was they obviously have their their critical consumer, the the consumer that they were focused on, and they just laid out all these different characteristics of this consumer, and I realized it was my son, yeah. And uh, all the characteristics lined up with him perfectly. And then I realized all these things that you think you're making for the most rational of reasons, you're actually being driven towards them by, by advertising and the subtle stories that are reconfirmed in your own mind of, if I do this, I'm doing the right. Mm, yeah? mm. So in and around this story, so this is actually the first part of the book, but it's really uh, an important part because it's trying to convince you that you are what you love, first of all, and that there's other stories out there competing for your loves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We teach this book at the end of the faith and work intensive, though, because of kind of what it moves on to and the need for practices that that cement our desire, the the appropriate desires and wants of our heart. Mm -hmm, If mm -hmm. you want not to be formed by these other stories in life, you're going to have to develop practices within life that that, that align with a better story, align with a better story. And he uses the example of worship uh, at church. Why do we go to worship? Well, because God is due our worship, of course, but also that the practice and habit of worship if you like, forms us into those people who are prepared for heaven, mm-hmm. prepared for heaven, yeah? Yeah, and the, and the church has recognized this as we go back through the centuries mm-hmm. of the central place of liturgy, of not only a place where we, say, uh, learn uh, about uh, God and give his praise back to him, but that we are actually formed in the things that we are doing in and around other believers 
that that is changing us. We cannot. One of the undergirding uh, messages of the book is if we recognize that the mall or other kinds of stories are competing for our hearts. It's not enough. It's impossible just to say, okay, I won't be informed by those. Yeah. Because you'll always be informed by some story. For sure. So what story is it? What formational practices are you being shaped by? And for the Christian, it's, of course, centrally the story of Christ and the story of redemption. But how those are put into practice, it has to be more than— Nothing less, but more than simply receiving the word, it has to be putting it into these, what the church has called for many centuries, liturgical practices. Yeah, so maybe an illustration would help folks, and that uh, some of the folks listening to this, some of the people uh, who come along to our um, our faith and work intensive programs, they'll work in big industrial companies. Uh, we're here in Houston, of course, and uh, a big part of the local economy here is either in the oil and gas business or, or things related to the oil and gas business. Um, many of the people who participate in those workplaces will have very uh, extensive and elaborate in their own way safety programs. Those safety programs may do something simple like that uh, every time you gather together, have a meeting, you have your safety moment where someone puts their hand there and says, look, I'm going to talk a little bit about a safety incident I saw this morning. Or, And what, what we're trying to say, what Smith is trying to point out there and what these folks understand in the safety world is that these small practices, these liturgies, so like your safety moment is the safety liturgy, that we gather together, we share together a safety moment, we agree on it, we go forward. He and is just, saying that these are the practices. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar, a safety moment, that would be, oh, I saw Doug um, hmm. step out of the way uh, when this, I, I have no idea. Like, Yeah, you have no idea, have you? Yeah, yeah. All right. I saw Doug use the handrail on the stairs. Well, something like that. It may be something like uh, so. I worked in a, a place where some of our customers had these rules where one was if you're going up the stairs, you must use the handrail. Yeah. So, uh, so it may be the safety moment is that I've been noticing recently that we are not using the handrails often enough when we use stairs. Yeah. Or it could be I and this morning I saw someone coming in in the coming in in the morning having a uh, looking at texting while they were driving. Now, you're not changing the, the world by listening to those, yeah? But what you are doing is that this, you're trying to enculturate this safety practice and culture. Mm-hmm. I see. It's a liturgy. Yeah. That as you practice it again and again and again, you're constantly going to be in front of the story that if I, my actions drive consequences for others, safety consequences for others. Yeah. And the illustration there is simply that that's, that's something that many of the people listening to this will be involved with. That's what we're talking about when we talk about liturgy. The church, when it does its liturgy, is trying to enculturate you as well, prepare you in that story, prepare you for heaven, so to speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's more than simply, I mean, uh, I, I do think that thanks for helping my uh, uninitiated uh, yes. mind understand what you were referring to, because it's, I mean, they could just have those rules in those organizations plastered on the wall. 
Yeah. Hey, uh, remember, don't text and drive. Thanks. But that that just well, wouldn't they, do. They, well, one, they do do that. Okay. Yeah. It's it's kind of a multi-dimensional thing. But right. That's, but right. It, but they don't only do yeah, that. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what I was. They don't only do that. And I think. Um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously limits to how good an example this is, but it's, a, I think, a good example that often many people have access to because they've worked in those contexts. Um, what he is talking about, back to our book here, is that when we adopt certain practices, we're trying to embed a culture that we want to adopt kind of in our bones. And that's why we worship in the way that we worship, or we should worship in a certain way to embed the right culture in our bones, mm-hmm. you know, the right mm-hmm. Christian culture in our bones. And there's places where he's pretty critical of sometimes how the church operates and when it, it operates and worships in such a way that it would embed entirely the wrong culture in, yeah. in one's bones. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. Often churches work on a... On a um, scarcity mindset for example or in an efficiency mindset or in an entertainment kind of mode or a consumerist consumerist kind yeah, of yeah. mode all of those things are, are are reaffirming desires that we have within us and to that extent they work well um, but they're not the desires of the kingdom you know and I think that's that's really why we do this right at the end of the right at the end it is, we're trying to get you to think about Instead of us prescribing for you, go forward and do this or that in the future, we want you to try and think about what practices can I develop in my life that would, if I've learned anything over the last you know eight months or so that we've been together through this, um, if I've learned anything, what practices can I adopt in my life that would reinforce those learnings as I go forward mm-hmm. and cause me not to, to just forget, you know? Yeah, and I think he's uh, Smith is good about uh, reminding us that God is patient. That uh, in in these practices, like we need these practices because we are not fully formed. Not and that, fully formed. And God meets us in those moments. So uh, the presupposition that there needs to be forming supposes that that something is there with a potential for growth yeah. towards mm-hmm. whatever spiritual ideal or Christ-likeness that we're aiming for, yeah. that we're not there yet. That we're not there yet, yeah. And, and God is the patient God who's yeah. wanting, wanting to lead us through that. So he doesn't use this example, um, but it's an example I use of um, uh, like worship being a bit like, or prayer being a bit like uh, James Harden shooting three throws. Free throws. I used to. So James Harden obviously used to play for the Houston Rockets. He doesn't play for them anymore. But when he played with them, I used to marvel at his, his the way he would shoot free throws because it seemed this entirely effortless thing that it was just swish and, and it went every time. And not every time, but most of the time. Um, what I use that as an example because James Harden didn't come out of the womb shooting free throws. James Harden, to get to that point, had to practice and practice a lot. And my point would be, the one, one, it's the same learning how to be a Christian at its highest level or fitting oneself for heaven is of infinite more uh, importance than, than just simply shooting a good free throw. And yet we spend a whole, lot less time practicing. Mm-hmm. And his point here is that by going along to worship, by attending your small group, by doing doing the various different things in life, by tending the garden that we've talked about in previous podcast uh, in previous podcast episodes, by uh, by cooking well, by doing all these kind of embodied things well, we actually are fitting ourselves for heaven. 
Mm-hmm. And this is um, we're, we're we're attempting to grow or <clears throat> excuse me acquire uh, spiritual virtues or theological virtues yeah. um, uh, that that may be you know highfalutin. All, all all we mean there are deep dispositions and habits that are aimed towards some spiritual good, yeah. some spiritual transformation. Uh, and that can be as easy, at, uh, as seemingly small and insignificant as um, uh, thoughts or judgments that you may find yourself having about other people to very uh, externally visible, like, I need to uh, give more to uh, more time to my children or my neighbor or what have you. Yeah. But those things don't come out of nowhere, just like the free throws don't come, but require uh, habit forming habit and practices. Practice, repetition, yeah. overcoming the boredom of yeah. doing the same thing again and again and again, but learning the beauty of the repetition and the formation of it. Yeah. Um, Kevin Majors, a psychiatrist at, uh, at Harvard, um, has has said that he talks about uh, virtue formation in the context of of work and a, a lot of times when we when we realize we have some deficiency uh spiritual or uh quote unquote mundane uh we we kind of get discouraged because of wow you know i i need to be more more caring or i wish i was more patient or i'm just not really good with numbers uh that when the uh data or the accounts come rolling in um and those challenges are the best opportunity uh for growth uh dr majors kind of wants us to reframe those opportunities and the christian story has the best reframing uh possible because god is doing a work in us greater than we can do uh by any means uh, on our own efforts but he uses these means, these repetition, these liturgies, both small uh, and big, uh, to transform us into the image of his son. Um, so that's that's an encouragement for it, because yeah. I think we we see some deficiencies in our life, and we're just like, well, I've always had that crap. I guess know? that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that, actually, I really enjoy this book, that uh, it's one of my favorites. And in fact, I, I came to it because I'd read, he has a, a longer trilogy of books, um, the, the first of which is Desiring the Kingdom. This is kind of a distillation of those th- three books. And uh, and I just loved it. I just love the book. And I love the disposition that the book has towards praxis and action, towards liturgy and worship, um, the kind of Augustinian view of, of who we are as people, as those who desire, those who love, because it really speaks to the kind of people that I know, but also the people that I want to be around as well. And, you know, one last lesson for us maybe as, uh, as folks who are going to go back into the workplace is that the one basic insight of, these, of this, well, the whole course, but also St. Augustine back in the first semester that we were together, but also Jamie uh, Smith here, as he finishes out, is that we are not primarily thinkers. Thinkers, that's important. We are actually people who desire and who love. And what that means is, in practical terms, when you're leading people, if you think your rationality is going to win through, it will not. Your powerful rational argument or your you know, 8% margin is better than 7 kind of argument, 
doesn't win the day for people. It doesn't motivate people. And why is that? Not because they're illogical. It's because those don't move the heart. They don't speak to us as desiring and loving beings. What you need to do within work and within uh, and leading within work is that people need to know, they need to be motivated by what do they love? What do they love in their job? And they need to know that in your own way that you love them, that you care for them. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't need to be kind of a soppy emotional thing. It needs to sure. know that, hey, I care for the people that are around me, that these folks are mine, mm-hmm. put into my care to, to, to look after and care for. And that's what motivates loyalty, love, performance, great work, great creativity. That's what motivates. It's not the power of our logical arguments, ultimately. They, those are there for other purposes or the purposes of insight, but not for the purposes of motivation. Yeah. So I think we can end there. Thank you so much for joining us for this lovely podcast. Lovely. Wow. Yeah. Did you see what I did there? I did see what you did there. I, just, you, I wish I quit seeing what you did there, but you know. You just can't unsee some things. Some things. If you want to see other lovely podcasts, you can find our podcast on all platforms, or you can visit our website at trueworkshouston.org. Music.